You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. When we take communion, please do remember it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. I'm going to read from Psalm 72. This is uh, the last psalm of the second book of Psalms. There are five books in the books of Psalms. And it's entitled of Solomon. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let corn abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. It is uh, it's a, it's a great psalm. Um, it's a psalm that... Uh, has inspired some great hymns. Jesus shall reign where the sun, Isaac Watts's paraphrase of this psalm being one, or James Montgomery's All Hail to the Anointed. It is um, it's a psalm that brings together different themes in the Bible that I think will help us in different ways. So that uh, sometimes in our Christian faith we can be very individualistic and just think about ourselves, and other times we can look at the wider world and be quite despairing. We can say that our country needs Christ, needs Jesus, but what does that mean? And I think this psalm shows us what that means. One of the sad things about this psalm is that it is a song written by King Solomon, probably along with Psalm 127, the only two psalms that we have from David's son Solomon. And I say a sad thing because this was probably written at a time when Solomon was seeing great prosperity, great growth, great wealth, uh, peace, and it must have seemed as though the promise of the Messiah King 
Maybe that was going to come true, but we read in 1 Kings 11 that Solomon was not the Messiah king. Solomon turned away. And I think there's a particular lesson in terms of Solomon because for us, because in times of adversity, we can turn away from God. But in times of prosperity, I think we're even more likely to turn away from God. And that can be times of physical as well as spiritual prosperity. And that's what Solomon, you, you think, that, how, how did he do that? After being given all that he'd been given by God, how did Solomon, I, you know, you kind of look and you say, I would never do that. Well, let him who thinks he stands beware in case they fall, because that is clearly what happened. We are not to look to the kings of this world. We are not to look to any human leader other than Christ, because they will all let us down. Now, that's not being too cynical. Uh, It's not saying that we shouldn't connect with other people. It's not saying that we shouldn't pray for those who are in in spiritual or um, political authority over us, and that we shouldn't expect great things. It's not saying that, but it's just simply saying that they will all let you down. The only one who doesn't is Jesus Christ. So let's just uh, go through. There are four stanzas in the original language in this song, and I just want to mention some of the things that we can draw out from that. Now, ultimately, it refers to Jesus Christ, but also, can I say to those of you who are interested in politics, and of course that's all of you, because you're all good, godly Christians, and you, you, you know, you're all concerned about how this land is governed and what's going on. And although you may n- not watch the Hillary-Trump debate at three o'clock in the morning tomorrow, you will, I hope, have an interest in who's elected president of the United States, and you are concerned about what's happening with uh, Putin and others. You're concerned about the city council here in Dundee and the Scottish government and Theresa May and the Queen and so on, because the Scripture tells us that we are to pray, first of all, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceable and godly lives. Sometimes we forget that, you know, something you, you have all the time, you never know. Is how many of you today, for example, gave thanks to God for water? And yet, there are lots of people who don't have clean water. And the food that we have, when there are people who don't have food. Well, one of the things that we should give thanks for is that we have civil government. And you might be one of these people who say, oh, I wouldn't mind living in a country where there was anarchy. You would. About an hour after you got off the plane and went into a country where there was anarchy. And if you doubt that, go visit Syria. Because the reason people are dying, children are dying there right now, is because there's anarchy. It's because there are numerous warring factions. So it does matter how we are governed. And although we moan about the council and moan about the Scottish Parliament and moan about the British government and whatever, we should be enormously thankful that we live in a society where civil government, because it was regarded as something that comes from God, is still considered to be important. And God help us when we get to a day when we elect people 
who are just protest votes or whatever it is because we are really going to feel it. And we, the people who are going to feel it the most are the poor. And that's, this, this psalm gives us some basic principles for government. Now, it's very simple. First of all, the king, verses 1 to 5, the caring king should be justice and righteousness. That's what should be at the heart of any government. What is right and what is fair and what is just? That is what matters. That's what God will judge rulers for. And that's what we should expect to see in our culture and in our society. But he also says there should be prosperity. And some translations have it as peace because it's the word uh, shalom. And it's interesting that that word uh, carries the idea. We don't really have an English equivalent. But one of the dictionaries, lectionaries, whatever it was I looked up, said total well-being. And that sent a wee thing going in my head because um, well-being is a kind of buzzword just now in government circles. And I'm not going to say anything about the name person scheme, but one of the things that a name person is meant to do in this proposed legislation that's coming is to look after the well-being of the child. And we're finding this phrase well-being being used more and more in official uh, government, social uh, documents. And, and I'm asking, what is well-being? Well, we would do really well as a society if we took the biblical concept of shalom as the definition of well-being. Incidentally, as for a named person, I've got one. Because uh, the named person's meant to look after you and keep an eye on you. So my named person is Jesus. And I think that those of us who are believers can say that. But this whole idea of prosperity and peace and shalom and well-being, that's what we long for for everyone, and it's what we long for for ourselves. In this psalm, it carries a little bit the idea of um, the reversal of the curse. Genesis 3.17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil... You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. The fall. And it's difficult to see how you can be a Christian and not believe in the fall. Because that's why Christ came, to overcome the effects of the fall. The fall where humanity turned away from God where from there on every single human being born into this world has been born corrupt, dead in sins and trespasses. Because of the fall, there's this corruption entered into the whole world. I had a fascinating interview this week with a man who, who contacted me. Um, he's a sociology lecturer. And it was, for me, it was just so enlightening because he wanted to Skype me and he lectures in Edinburgh. And I said, well, I'm going to be through in Edinburgh on Tuesday. I'd rather talk to you face to face. So we did. And uh, he lectures at a university in Edinburgh. And he was telling me that his basic class is 170 people. And he himself is from a Catholic background. And he asked these 170 young people, how many of you have any religious connection whatsoever? And four out of 170 said they did. I mean, to me, I was just 
four? I said, that just must be sociology students. You know, <laughs> must be a certain type. And he said, no. He said, honestly, that's where we're heading. And what was fascinating, and you can pray about this, by the way, because he wanted to talk to me about the Calvinist view of human agency in salvation. And I said, why do you want to talk to me about that? And he said, I'm going to teach my pupils about it. I said, why are you doing that? He said, they must understand what different religions teach about salvation. And I want them to know what your view of salvation is. So I said, I'm going to tell you the gospel, and then you're going to tell all your 170 pupils. He said, yes. I said, well, thank the Lord. That's just wonderful. It's just great at one level. But then he said an absolutely amazing thing to me. And please, those of you who are theologically minded, don't, don't shake your head and say, I told you so. I'm reporting you to the presbytery. After we'd finished the discussion, he looked at me and he said, you know, David, it seems to me that Calvinism is very like Catholicism. <laughs> and, and, and he then said, I love what you're teaching. And I said, why? Why do you love it? And he said, I'll tell you why I love it. Because you take sin seriously. He said, I don't understand how anyone can live in this world and not believe in sin. And he said, and yet nearly all my students won't accept there's such a thing as sin. And he said, most of my colleagues won't accept there's such a thing as sin. They don't, they don't believe it. And he said, at least you believe it. You take it seriously. Okay, you don't agree about the Pope and the Mass and everything else, but you take sin seriously. Well, that's because the Bible does. That's because sin is serious. And what the king, the, the ultimate king is going to do here, no government is going to do this. Any, the, all that any government will do was alleviate the effects of the curse. But no government will reverse the curse, but the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, will. And notice the particular emphasis. It says here, he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. And that's repeated again in verse 13. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death and so on. Calvin. See, let me quote Calvin uh, in a minute, but let me just back off a second. I come across Christians a lot who say things along these lines. Jesus is concerned about the salvation of individuals he, he has no interest, or rather, it is not the responsibility of government to care for the poor. Now, I don't understand that at all, because this is, this is explicit as it could be. Calvin puts it this way, God is indeed no respecter of persons, but it is not without cause that God takes a more special care of the poor than of others, since they are most exposed to injuries and violence. Let laws and the administration of justice be taken away, and the consequence will be that the more powerful a man is, the more he will be able to oppress his poor brethren. I know what Christians are saying, or political theorists are saying, when they're saying the government should be interested in the poor, it's the church's job. I'm sorry, but that's a fantasy. The church is not going to care for all the poor. That's not what's going to happen. Government is an agency of God, and God is concerned about the poor, and the church and the government should be concerned about the poor. And Calvin's point is precisely spot on. Who suffers when governments make unjust laws and when government gets things wrong? It's normally not the rich and the powerful. It's the poor who suffer. So, let me give you just one example that still it just annoys me. It just, well, all the time. In the 1960s, 
late 1960s, early 1970s, there was a whole sexual philosophy that swept across upper middle class groups in universities, Harvard, Oxford, and so on. It went, came down to lesser universities. And that whole sexual revolution of it doesn't matter who you sleep with and, and you know, marriage is out of date and so on. Maybe the wealthy could buy their way out of some of the problems that that caused. Many of them couldn't, but some could. But the people who suffered the most from that philosophy are found in the housing schemes of Dundee, where the, so many children are growing up out with homes where there's a mom and a dad and stable relationships and all the rest of it because of a, a greedy and ungodly Selfish philosophy. And we're going to find that the more this country turns away from God, the more it is the poor that will suffer the most. I'll give you one more example. Let's take the nation of uh, Greece. There were many things wrong in the nation of Greece. There was much corruption and there were, you know, in the economy and so on. And the whole thing collapsed and lots and lots of people suffered. The people who suffered the least were the people who caused it the most. The very rich, who all that they did was just take their money and put it in the property market in London and elsewhere. They were able to do that. But the people who suffered the most were the poor. Now, that's not preaching politics. That's what God is concerned about. He's concerned to save the children of the needy, to, def to defend the afflicted among the people. Fourth thing is that the kingship of God carries this endurance and stability. O king, rule forever. Ultimately, again, that is seen in Christ. But I think, again, stable government is seen through Christian principles being applied. Then there's another one. Um, he will be like rain, verse 6, falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. This idea of the refreshing rain. I think this is picked up from 2 Samuel 23.1, where it says, these are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in, righteousness, people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Kim Jong uh, of North Korea. It's constant, songs are sung about him. It's put out continually that he is like the light of morning. But no, he's not. He's a horrendous dictator who at this very moment in time is ordering that Christians who refuse to deconvert should now be killed. That's what's happening in terms of our brothers and sisters in Korea. He's not the light of the morning. But I'll tell you this, a ruler who recognizes that first of all, they are a servant of God, that they are not God, a state which recognizes that its powers are limited 
and that it must govern in accordance with the basic principles of God's word. Anyone who lives in a country like that lives in a blessed country. And that's why we pray for our politicians and our rulers. They're like the refreshing rain. If you're an American, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, refreshing rain. Let's go to Britain. Nicola Sturgeon, refreshing rain. Theresa May, refreshing rain. Jeremy Corbyn, refreshing rain. There are people, I, I've, somebody showed me a book of poems about Jeremy Corbyn and dedicated to him, and I was just shaking my head saying, he's not your savior. He's not going to be your savior. Maybe a principled man, maybe many fine things about him. I'm not saying anything about that, but he's not the refreshing rain. The refreshing rain. I'll tell you what refreshes your soul. Go, go and have a look at this if you can. Google it. Um, it's an interview with, a ma- with Frank Skinner. And it's a woman who's an actress, and I've even forgotten her name, but she's on Bridget Jones' Diary, which is a film which I have no intention of going to see, by the way. Um, but she does an interview. I think her name is Susan or Suzanne. She does an interview because she's made a documentary which will go on the BBC about Down syndrome because they've developed a new test for Down syndrome and the uh, disabled societies in Britain are saying, this is ridiculous, it's going to result in more abortions and so on. And this woman, Suzanne, went to make a documentary about this and I think she had her own preconceptions. And she does this interview with Frank Skinner. It is one of the most moving things you will see because what she says is that people like Peter Singer and others who advocate killing the disabled, she says, you have no idea how beautiful these people are. And as I listened to her thing, I thought, ah, that's like refreshing rain. Having a politician acknowledge that every human being is made in the image of God Having a politician who's not afraid to stand up for Christian values, no matter the abuse that they take, that is like refreshing rain. And there's a New Testament image of that in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task? Christ brings refreshment, and those rulers who acknowledge him and serve him bring refreshment. Let me tell you how far we have gone in this. There is a Christian political leader, I don't think there's any name for, reason for me to name him, uh, some of you will know who I'm talking about, who uh, is a leader of a political party, And he did an interview uh, in which one of his fellow leaders in his party had spoken at their party political conference and had said that schools should allow for prostitution to be a career option at careers. Now, you're just thinking that's absolutely impossible. Now, that man has thankfully been removed from his position But this Christian political leader said, I'm glad I belong to a party where things like that can be suggested and we can have an open discussion. I'm thinking, you're kidding. This is not following the Jesus who we know what Jesus thinks of that, of the oppression 
that is caused because in Scotland this week, it was announced, um, Evangelical Alliance have been very strong on this and others as well, that child trafficking in Scotland, which some of us didn't even know existed, has increased three times in the past year. So there are children being trafficked and being, being used to slaves. And a man will stand up and say, well, maybe we should consider prostitution as a career possibility in schools. No, we know what Jesus thinks of that. He cares for the poor. He rules from sea to sea. It says all the kings bow down to him. It talks about the desert and uh, the image there is of those resistant to rule, the far off, the distant. Uh, it talks about Tarshish, which is Spain and Sheba and what's what we would now know as Saudi Arabia and Seba. He's saying Jesus is king of the whole earth. And we need constantly to remember that. Verses 12 to 14, again, he, again, he just emphasizes, he will del- deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. Isn't that interesting? The afflicted who have no one to help. There was, um, as a great example, an illustration used in Tim Keller's latest book, of people saying, oh, well, Christianity was the, is the religion of the oppressors and slavery and so on, and if only we just followed humanist principles and, and all that kind of stuff, then, then we'd live in a much better world. And there was an African-American uh, leader who, when faced with that particular argument, said this, you could not go to any African-American group in the 19th century where people were slaves and tell them, just live out according to the principles of humanity around you. Because what they trusted in absolutely when they saw no hope and there was no one to help them, they believed that Jesus would. And that's how you get these marvelous gospel songs and the, the spirituals that arose out of that. The afflicted who have no one to help. When we seek to help people, we need to remember this. We should not be going to people, handing out charity as though from on high, we were, we're the rich and, and, and you know, good ones and we're giving it to these poor people. That, to me, that's an appalling attitude. The best thing that we can ever do for anybody is tell them that we too are beggars and that all that we ultimately have to offer them is Jesus Christ. You have no one to help. And I'm not even sure, maybe I can help you with some little things, but I can't help you with much. But there is somebody who can help. There's someone who has pity on the weak and needy. There's someone who rescues from oppression and violence. And there's someone who cares that their blood is precious in his sight. So Brad and Angelina splitting up may have been headlines on all our news pages on the same day that over 500 people drowned in a ship off Egypt. God cares about the violence and the blood. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just caring because he goes on. It says, long may he live. Now, verses 15 to 17 is a prayer for the king. It's a prayer that looks for the king to his people, to the creation, to the wider world. There's a tension here between the king that really was then, Solomon himself, 
and the king that was to come. I think he possibly hoped it would be one of his descendants, and it was. It was Jesus, but in a different way. The result of this king ruling is that his people pray for him. And in a strange kind of way, when we have Jesus in our lives as our Lord and our Savior, we do pray. What do we pray? Amen. Even so, come soon, Lord Jesus, because we long for the reign of Christ. We long for a world in which there is no more bloodshed and no more violence and no more cruelty and no more trafficking and no more sexual exploitation. We long for that, and we know that that only comes with Christ, and so we long for him to come. But we can have a little bit of a foretaste of that. That's why Christians have always been at the forefront of social justice campaigns. It talks about gold from Saudi Arabia coming for this king. It talks about corn on the tops of the hills. Um, that, by the way, for those of you who are not farmers, you don't grow your corn on the top of a hill. That is not a good idea. That's why there aren't combine harvesters up Ben Nevis at the moment. Right? That's not where you grow corn. It's the worst place to grow corn. But here it's saying that Jesus' reign will be so prosperous that there will be fruit, if you like, of that even there. His name will continue forever. All nations will be blessed through him. And it's just telling us that there's this wonderful prosperity that comes through Jesus Christ. So I look at the world... And you either desensitize yourself or you weep. And you weep because the little of what you see and who knows what God sees, we don't know. We don't know a tiny percentage of the cruelty that is in this world. But God knows. And there's a tendency sometimes for us, the little that we do know, to be overwhelmed by it. And yet, and yet, because of Christ, there is extraordinary hope. There is extraordinary beauty. Our labor is not in vain. We work and we serve. Those of you who are trying to be doctors, it, you look, you're not, um, what's his name, the founder of Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. You want, you want crazy? He announced this, he and his wife announced that they were giving several billion dollars and that within their lifetime they were going to get rid of all disease in the world. No, they're not. They're not going to get rid of all disease in the world. But that's the fantasy world in which so many people live. But we know someone who is going to get rid of all disease, and that is King Jesus. Now, he may use Zuckerberg and others to get rid of some diseases, and there are opportunities. This world is nowhere near as bad as it could be, and there may be opportunities yet within this country for great prosperity in, in lots of ways. But all prosperity comes ultimately, all peace, all shalom comes only through Christ. And that's why in the New Testament you get this great emphasis on kingdom theology. It's the kingdom of Jesus. It's the reign of Jesus. It's the glory of Jesus. And that's why if you're um, a doctor or a mechanic or a teacher or a social worker or, you know, a housewife or a house husband or whatever you want to say, what, what, you know, God calls you to serve King Jesus, and in serving King Jesus, King Jesus' kingdom comes on this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's too overwhelming for you. It's too overwhelming for a political party. It's too overwhelming for any human being. But 
it is not too overwhelming for King Jesus. Trust not in princes, nor man's son in whom there is no stay, says the old metrical version of the psalm. Many, many times that has rescued me from despair because it's the Bible that confirms the feeling that we often have we can't trust absolutely any political or religious leader. But we can trust King Jesus. And when we sit at the Lord's table, what we're doing is we're acknowledging our need of Christ. We're allowing him to strengthen and feed us. But we're also saying we're sitting at the table of the king. And we're asking him to use us in the days and months and years that lie ahead, as many as he gives us, as he grants to us. We're asking him to let his kingdom come through us. And at the same time, we are crying, Maranatha, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray. Um, I do want to mention something specifically for prayer. I didn't mention it earlier because I wasn't aware. I've basically been made aware. Uh, Anna Bradshaw uh, contacted me to say, ask us to pray for um, the Mollers who are all ill, but especially Hannah Moller, who has been taken into hospital and is quite seriously ill. So we'll pray for them. And even as we sit at the Lord's table, please remember the part of the body of Christ that's not able to be here with us because of illness. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the king of peace, the king of glory, the king who brings prosperity and shalom, that you are the one before whom all the leaders of this world will come and bow, whether from Saudi Arabia or Spain or China or America, Scotland, England, Ireland, wherever. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we thank you that you can make the corn grow on the barren mountaintops. And we come to you as our king and we ask that you would bless us as we sit at your table. But we also pray for those who are not able to be here and especially we pray for the Maulers and especially for we Hannah. May your healing hand be upon her. May you protect her and keep her. May you strengthen and uphold uh, Gareth and Sally and the rest of the family. Hear our prayers and our cries to you, O Lord, for we ask it in your name. Amen. We are going to uh, sing before we take communion, uh, Jesus, lover of my soul. We shall stand to sing. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace 
the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.